I'm Gracie. And I'm Kaylee. And this is Sinister Sofa Talks. cancer season so to start this podcast off i'm going to talk a little bit about cancer some of the qualities found in criminals that are cancers and then jump right into our first case cancer pisces sagittarius and scorpio account for almost 40 percent of serial killers and cancer <laughs> that's not funny <laughs> you psychopath i'm not a psychopath i was just thinking of the saggy tit thing oh Sagittarius. She she kept saying Sagittarius the other day, and she kept saying saggy tits. So Sagittarius, you are now known as saggy tits. So sorry about you. (laughs) Cancers are said to be the most dangerous criminals of all the zodiac signs. The water signs, Cancers, Pisces, and Scorpios account for the highest number of killers and victims. Twenty eight percent of killers and twenty seven percent of victims. Cancers tend to be moody, withdrawn, vindictive, or attack when threatened. They can also be quite violent, and cancer killers are considered to be passion killers. Some good qualities of a cancer are that they are very loyal, protective, intuitive, and caring. So the first case that we're going to talk about is Jean Joubert IV, a.k.a. the Woodford Slasher. Um, a trigger warning because it involves young children. So, so mom, Jean if you're Joubert, listening. Yeah, don't listen. Don't. <laughs> So he is known for murdering three young boys during the 1980s, but a little background about him is that he was born July 2nd, 1963 in Lawrence, Massachusetts. So he's a cancer and he was the first child of Joseph and Beverly Joubert and he had a younger sister and she actually turned out to be a police officer later on, which is kind of nice. Um, he had an IQ of 123, so he was super smart, and during school, John was bullied because of his small stature, and some articles I've read said that he was also bullied for being homosexual, but I'm not sure if that's actually true or not. One of his close childhood friends said John was a shy, smart boy who never showed any signs that he wanted to get back at the bullies, but it was during this period that John's disturbing fantasies began. Jean Joubert told the Maine Sunday Telegram that he believed he started having the fantasies after he saw his father choke his mother when he was four years old. Um, when he was six, he started fantasizing about killing his babysitter, and he didn't seem to have anything against the girl who lived across the street from him. He described her to one of his psychiatrists as just someone to kill. Oh, Jesus. Um, That's great. I know. After John started having these fantasies, his home life became super rough. His parents divorced when he was six years uh, six years old, and I guess there was constant arguing on whether or not John would stay with his mom or his dad, but ultimately stayed with his mom. And his mom, like, didn't allow him to be near his father, I guess. And John said that his mom belittled him, spanked him until he was 12 years old, ridiculed his father, and never approved of any of his friends. And so he basically like had his anger build up inside him till he during his um junior year is when he started to act on it so his first attack happened on december 12 1979 sarah canty who was only six years old was playing outside her house with the football just messing around and she went to pick up the football 
when a boy on a bike rode behind her and stabbed her in the back with a pencil or screwdriver. That's fucking nuts. Articles that say pencil or screwdriver, so I'm just gonna say both, but pretty insane. And mm-hmm. after he stabbed Sarah Canty, he just rode off, according to the police report. And well, he's he's got actually, he's not gonna stay. Like he's just gotta, no, <laughs> he's just gotta go. He's out of here. Yep, riding uh, into. But the- she actually had a quarter inch puncture wound underneath three layers of clothing. Jesus. And so this was John's first attack. And then in another incident, John beat and nearly strangled an eight-year-old boy to death. Uh, Luckily, he survived, but he said he relished in the power of bullying and began to stab others after this. And then the attack following the eight-year-old boy fell on January 24th, 1980. 27-year-old Vicki Goff was walking to her creative writing class at the University of Southern Maine around 7 p.m. when a young man walked by her and said hi. Next thing she knew, there was a hand covering her mouth from behind, and then she said she felt like she got punched in the side. Then after that, the young man ran off. And that was all he did? He, he just... Actually he just punched her yeah. and fucking ran off. Well, she realized she had been stabbed with a knife. Oh. And she had to get surgery for a punctured kidney and spent oh, a week geez. in the hospital. Yeah, so she's a little crazy. And then two months later to the day after Vicky Goff was stabbed um, on March 29th, nine-year-old Michael Witham, I don't know if that's how you say his last name, was Sounds walking good to me. home when a young man, a.k.a. John, asked Michael to come closer, and he asked Michael who he was and where he was going, and when Michael looked away from him for a second, John uh, slit his throat with an X-Acto knife, and it took 12 inches to close the two-inch wound, but he survived, surprisingly. Yeah, surprisingly. Those are so sharp. Yeah, I know. So he was never caught during the time of any of these attacks, so he kind of went under the radar and... So he took, like, this sounds weird, but, like, a hiatus, pretty much, from attacking mm-hmm. people. And he went Just a little breather. He just needed a <laughs> just break. Just a little break. Um, he earned some credits, and then he enlisted into the Air Force in August of 1982, the same month he took the life of his first victim. Oh, that's right, because he hasn't so, actually killed anyone yet. He's just... No, he's just Like, stabbed people. Them. Okay. Yeah. So... And Bat Cove, Maine. Oh, before I actually read that, I forgot. So the his attacks that he didn't kill them, he mm-hmm. was actually they all were attacked like on the same roads or like near each other. Was it like was near strange. his house or? I'm not sure. I'll have to look at that. But it was all like corner streets, okay. pretty much. But okay. Anyway, so his first victim was 11 year old Richard Ricky Stetson, and. On August 22nd, 1982, in Bat Cove, Maine, he had gone jogging, and his uh, Ricky's parents called the police when he did not return by dark, because they were super worried, and they couldn't find him, but then the next day, a motorist saw a body on the side of I-295, and it seemed, uh, the actually, the motorist that found Ricky's body thought he was a victim of a hit and run, so his body was, like, just mutilated. Yeah. And it seemed as if uh, Ricky's attacker, who was John, tried to undress him and then stabbed him and strangled him. And a suspect was actually arrested for the murder of Richard Stetson, but his teeth 
didn't match the bite mark on Richard's body, and so the suspect was released a year and a half later. And then Ricky's case went cold until January 1984 because they had no other leads. And then about a year later, on September 18th, 1983, 13-year-old Danny Joe Eberly began his normal newspaper route near Omaha, Nebraska. When he disappeared, his brother, who also delivered newspapers, first noticed that he hadn't seen Danny, but remembered him being followed by a white man in a tan car in the previous days. And it was later discovered that Danny only delivered three out of the 70 newspapers. Danny's bike was found at his fourth delivery spot along with all the other newspapers, but there appeared to be no sign of struggle at the place where his bike was found. And after three days of looking for Danny, his body was discovered four miles from where his bike was found. Danny was found stripped to his underwear, and his feet and hands were bound, and his mouth was taped with surgical tape. John had stabbed Danny nine times, and the FBI were called in for the investigation. And the investigation followed several leads, including a young man who was arrested for molesting two young boys about a week after Danny's murder. But um, the suspect failed a polygraph test and had a false alibi, but did not fit the profile the FBI had created. He was released to lack of evidence, and then other known pedophiles were questioned, but the case eventually went cold due to lack of evidence. Two months later, on December 2nd, 12-year-old Christopher Walden disappeared in Perpillion, Nebraska, about three miles from where Danny's um, body was found. John said that he had driven up to Christopher as he walked and threatened him into his car with his knife. John then ordered Christopher to strip to his underwear. He listened, but when John uh, demanded Christopher to lie down, he refused. And so then they got into some sort of struggle, and John overpowered him and stabbed 12-year-old Christopher Walden. John cut Christopher's Christopher's, oh my god, Christopher's <laughs> throat <laughs> so deep that he had almost been decapitated, and Jesus. he remained cognizant, I think that's how you say it, um, for some time, and then gradually lapsed into a coma and died from loss of blood. Oh, so he was, like, still alive while being yeah. decapitated? Jesus. Yeah, it's sad. That's horrible. And I know. He was found two days later with a figure resembling a plant carved into his torso five miles from the town. Witnesses again said that they saw a white man in a tan car, although, but police were confused because although all these crimes were similar, there was differences with each one, such as like Christopher had not been bound like Danny was, and Christopher was concealed better than Danny was. So, and they also believed that Christopher was killed immediately after being abducted, which wasn't true. So. John would set an alarm for like six in the morning and that was his alarm to go and search for his next victim but usually he would like hit the snooze button and go back to bed (laughs) I'm not feeling it today (laughs) yeah like it's not like cereal Um, like I'm not feeling this raisin bran today I know thanks like the fuck yeah he was um psycho Mm -hmm. but so Almost a month, pretty much a month later, I think, yeah, a month later, on January 11th, 1984, Dan, not Danny, excuse me, John uh, was looking for his next victim in an area where there was a preschool, and a preschool teacher was, uh, she noticed that the car kept driving up and down, but there wasn't, there's like different reports on whether or not he was loitering or just driving around but either way she 
was sketched out by John driving around, so she wrote down his right. license plate, and when he noticed that she was doing that, he went over to her, threatened to kill her, and then ran off. Like, and you already looked suspicious, bud. That did not help the situation. Yeah, exactly. At all. So, she called the police, rightfully so, but the car was not tan, like, all the other eyewitnesses reported that it was a tan car when all these murders were taking place. But the police found out that the car was rented by the one and only John Javert, and it mm-hmm. turned out that his car, a tan Nova sedan, was being repaired at the time. So they were actually issued uh, they actually issued a search warrant the same day for John Javert's apartment. And during the search, authorities found rope that was used to bind Danny Burley, and the FBI noticed that the strange rope that was used on Danny had been made for the United States military in South Korea, and he later admitted during interrogation that he got the rope from a scoutmaster in the troop he was an assistant in, so kind of crazy. That's kind of, like, scary to think about that he was in a, like, a scout troop. Well, and he had access to all this. Like, yeah, all this shit. Like, that's terrible. And John actually told authorities that he was glad the police caught him because he probably would have killed again. I mean, fair. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Like, probably Um, not wrong. Yeah. So, he confessed to the killings of Danny Joe Burley and Christopher Walden and was charged uh, with their murders on January 12th. I read somewhere that his, what's the word, is it bond or bail? Like, bail. I mean, I think... Is it bail? So, like, bail is when, like, like you get bail or whatever, but then, like, you're... Is it, like, you're on bond? Is that how... I think both are I correct. I don't know how to word it, but I think he had, like, a $10 million bond. Is that what that was? Is it Sure. Bail? I think... No, I think bond sounds right. Yeah, so, you know, anyway, <laughs> somebody had to pay $10 million to get I don't know. My brain's, out, so. my brain's not working. I think it's bond. That sounds yeah. right. Well, so he wasn't getting out anytime soon. And three judges sentenced him to death for both counts of uh, first-degree murder of Danny Joe, Burley, and Christopher Walden. And he was also sentenced to life imprisonment in Maine in 1990 for the murder of Ricky Stetson after his teeth were found to match the bite mark on Ricky's body. Um, John filed a writ of habeas corpus to the United States federal courts over the death sentences but they overturned the appeal, stating John had shown sadistic behavior by torturing Danny and Christopher. John also stated that he believes the ages of the boys he killed was significant because he was unhappy between the ages of 11 and 13, and so he said targeting the boys of those ages was in a way targeting himself, which is... Which, like, does not excuse the behavior. Yeah, does not justify your reason. You're probably correct in your psychological evaluation but that does not excuse the behavior sir yeah so he was sentenced to death by the electric chair and in his final words he apologized for the murders of ricky stetson danny burley and christopher walden and he said i do not know if my death will change anything or if it will bring anyone any peace and when trying to explain the heinous crimes he committed he said it was the power and the domination and seeing the fear. That was more exciting than actually causing the harm. That's so, disgusting. Yeah. I know. And Judy Burley, Danny's mom, said Mr. Joubert deserved the death penalty not out of vengeance, but because 
is the only punishment that can make sure that he'll never walk the streets again. Absolutely fair. He was executed fair. on July 17, 1996 by the electric chair. Oh, so not far away from his birthday, either. No. It's actually... Yeah, I could be wrong. Isn't that Corey and Kenzie's anniversary? July... Oh, let's see. I think it is. I think so. It's either the 17th or the 19th, and now I can't remember. I think you're right. It's the 17th, I swear. I think it is, yeah. Close, <laughs> anyway. sound awful. I don't remember. It's fine. Um, We do remember Courtney and Kenzie. This is a figment of your imagination. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever it is is what we said. Yeah. I'm going to look it up really quick because I'm pretty sure... <laughs> I swear, it was the 17th. And what, so what day was he born again? John Drew Bear? July 2nd. Okay, so yeah, not for, <gasps> July 17th. You're so good, Gracie. I know. You Nobody got... remembers I, me, I, know. I remember them. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> no one remembers me. I remember you. <laughs> Nobody knows my birthday. I do. What's my birthday, Kaylee? September 29th. No, oh, whatever. What year? Two thousand. No, that's not right. 2000. One second. I'm trying to math in my head. Because for some reason, my brain always wants to go to 2001. And I have no idea why it wants to do that. But that's not right. So give me a second. You're going to be 19. And it's 2022. I'm trying to do quick math in my head. 2003. Yeah. September 29th, 2003. What's my birthday? March 1st, 1994. Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Okay, well, that was the case of Jean Joubert IV, a.k.a. the Woodford Slasher. You can email us at SinisterSofaTalks at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at SinisterSofaTalks. Please leave us a review and email us with any recommendations on your own cases you would like to see us cover we would also love to read your sinister stories whether they are true crime murder involved spooky or anything of the sort just put in the timeline of your email sinister stories and what your zodiac sign is and we'll read those correlating to what zodiac dates we're in thank you so much for listening catch us on the next one mm-hmm.